Abba Yahweh, again, here in your treasury, your treasure house, to, to go through the gems and the finery that you allow me to come into, to take from the shelves, to fill my basket, to bring out to anyone that will listen, Father, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, and that I seek these things, Father God. Yes, I do. That you are in my life. That you are centered and that I remember these things. And the enemy comes to try to get us away from that, Father. But you are Abba Yahweh. Father, maker of all things made. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Paraklitos, Aman. So, the Holy Spirit poking and prodding and stirring me up and got me up quite a bit ahead of what I normally do. <laughs> but that's great because where did he bring me? He brought me to the word and he brought me to be about his business. His business is to share the gospel, the truth, the knowledge and the wisdom that he has imparted to me. And this is what I am about, my father's business. So, in this that I've been sharing, I've shared with you before, and I've, I've um, on several occasions, and in this, the Spirit has stirred me up again to bring this back, to make it more uh, emphatic and... You have to understand this, that if I get repetitive or get redundant, this is not about me. I don't get up and just start making stuff up. The Holy Spirit brings these things to me and has me share them because the import is there and it's necessary and there is someone that needs to hear it. So don't get your knickers in a twist. Be all offended because, oh, he's saying the same thing again. Here we go again. You know what? Don't be like that. You might hear something a little bit different. And keep in mind that when John went and John was preaching, they actually, <laughs> the elders of the church when he came to visit was going to teach, he said, look, John, you talk about loving God and how important it is for us to do that and, and love our neighbors. And he said, you, you do that a lot, almost every sermon that you give. Can you maybe change up and do something a little different? Oh, sure, he says, right? So he starts out in the first few moments of his teaching, and then he goes right back into the same thing. Love the Lord thy God love your neighbor, love one another, and he goes right back into the same old thing. Well, there's a reason that the Holy Spirit does that. Don't be selfish about your time. There are, is a purpose, and the Holy Spirit has it repeated for a reason, okay? So, relax. Come along for the ride. Or, as I've shared with you many times before, you try my spirit 
ensure the truth. And if you don't want to listen, then you turn off your device and you don't listen. It's really quite simple. And the other thing I share with you about that too is that I don't care that it's to the point that it's going to be offensive to me and I'm going to seek offense rather than just doing what I'm supposed to do. So if you don't want to listen, remember what I tell you and, and when I pray over the word. They that have an ear, let them hear. So if you have spiritual hearing, you want to hear the truth, you're going to listen. And if you don't, you're going to turn it off and you're going to take off and go do whatever you're going to do. I don't care to the point of offense. I care and it saddens me that you're not going to listen to the word of God. That part I do. But here's the deal. My validation comes from God. I don't require your validation for anything. You understand me? I don't require that you listen to me. I don't require that you show me in whatever this little device does that, that you're listening because it doesn't. It doesn't tell me if you're listening or turning it off. That part, I don't care. What I do care about is being in my father's business. And as I pray, they that have an ear, let them hear. And you'll understand what I'm talking about when I get into this. So there are some of you that might be my age and, and uh, maybe a little older or slightly younger, but, they, but remembering a game that was played as we were children called Hide and Seek. Hide and Seek. So other children would take turns hiding and the person that had to go seek them would count. Now, there was an interesting way we played, and oh, the Holy Spirit just opened this up in my mind's eye. Oh, wow. Um, so some of us played a game a little bit differently of hide-and-seek. So the person would count and then go and seek those that were hiding. But one of the ways that we played as, as children was that when you found a person that was hiding, they would help you to find the others. And one way of playing was that you just tag them out and, and they had to go wait until it was their turn. So usually it was the last one that was found was the one that had to count and, and do the next hide-and-seek round. But one way that we played was that whenever you found somebody, they would help you find the others. And the reason that this is, <laughs> the Holy Spirit just brought this emphatically to my attention is because, <clears throat> pardon me, in the book of Hebrews, um, and I was going to share this portion a little bit later, but I'm actually going to do it now because he just told me to. So in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So we gathered those to help us to seek and find the others. Is that not the way it is in our walk and that we're doing our father's business in that we 
are finding others, sharing with others, sharing the word of God, sharing the gospel so that others would have an opportunity and then in turn, they would also share and seek those that need to be found. What are we talking about? We're talking about the lost sheep. Not only the lost sheep, because the lost sheep would be as in those that may have backslidden and gone into that, but for those that have never taken the opportunity to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and that I want to believe in Him, I want to have faith in you, and I want to have the Holy Spirit guide my steps. And then too, on the other side, is those that have backslidden to have an opportunity to hear and share the sharing of the word and the gospel and then repent and come back. And then, of course, what is God going to do? Just like in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, he is going to come, he's going to take you and squeeze you in a godly bear hug that is just unimaginable, and then he's going to kiss you He's going to set you back at arm's length. He's going to look in your face right in your eyes. He's going to smile and say, I will forgive you. I do forgive you. Come on, let's go. Let's go back home. And that's all there is to it, brothers and sisters. When you backslide, and it will happen, it does happen because the enemy pursues those who are seeking to walk with God. And here's the important thing to, you have to remember this, is how is our relationship with God? And David actually writes about this a bunch. And you have to also remember too, that God, Lord God Almighty is the author. The books of the Bible are written by individuals that God has breathed the word into and given him the words, okay? These individuals that wrote in the book, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, Paul, Jeremiah, Samuel, David, Moses, Jacob, Esther, Ruth, they didn't just make this stuff up and write it down so that they could be in one of the most collected, famous books ever written, the most famous, the most edition. They didn't write it just to be a part of that. This was provoked, if you will, by God. He stirred these words in their heart. The Holy Spirit came and spoke to them and they wrote them down. They're the words of God, the author and finisher, the maker of all things made. They didn't just make these things up. Understand that. There are some people that believe that the books are written by people to a point that's correct. It was written but they are not the authors. They are the writers. You have individuals um, <clears throat> in modern times, if we can try to bring it to light, called ghostwriters. Um, and ghostwriters are actually writing a book for somebody else because they don't, 
particularly want the notoriety. They don't want to be chased and followed and hounded. Okay, they they just trying to get a story out and they won't have a ghostwriter do the writing. Or perhaps they don't have a really good command of the language, so the ghostwriter writes. Um, I don't know if that analogy helps anyone understand you better, but know this, that God was breathing these words into the individuals and provoking them, as you will, in their hearts to write these words. As in the book of Revelation, when Jesus came and visited John on the island of Patmos in the vision that Jesus Christ gave him and told him to write to the letters, the seven letters to the seven churches. And at that time, the seven leading churches in the known world at that time. They were the leading church because they were the ones who were centered in, in all the hubbub, I guess, if you will. Ephesus, Laodicea. If you, if you look at a map and you see these things, these churches were in central locations and they were on main trade routes, on main roads. They weren't just some, uh, pardon this analogy, some hillbilly church way out in, in a valley in the middle of Tennessee or Kentucky or, or uh, you know, way out in the middle of the desert in Arizona, anything like that. They weren't like that. These churches were on main thoroughfares. It was as if you're going down the interstate freeway and you look over to an exit and there's a church parked right there and they got the big sign and it's right there. So when you go on this main thoroughfare and you need to hear the word of God, you can pull off the exit and pull into the church and there it is. That's how the churches were established. And, and now, anymore, you will see that they are kind of off the beaten path. You have to get off the highway and you go down the turns and you get off into the towns and you'll find the church. But back in these days, these churches were established on main trade routes. So they were there. People knew where they were. They were at, some of them were established on, the, on main crossroads. So I'm sharing this with you, brothers and sisters. So how is our relationship with God? And I bring that up because I know how my relationship is. I want it to be stronger and greater, but I know how mine is. How's yours? In Psalm 63, 1, is, um, and I'm going to read from the old translation because I, I like the way this is. And remember the word Hashem, Lord God. And this is a psalm that David wrote when he was kind of out in the, out in the wilderness. Hashem. You are my God. I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body yearns for you as a parched and thirsty land that has no water. I shall behold you in the sanctuary and see your might and glory. Truly, your faithfulness is better than life. 
My lips declare your praise. I bless you all my life. I lift up my hands invoking your name. I am sated as with a rich feast. I sing praise with joyful lips. When I call you to mind upon my bed, when I think of you in the watches of the night, for you are my help, and in the shadow, your wings, I shout for joy. My soul is attached to you. Your right hand supports me. David, a lot of folks would try to point out his imperfections, but here's the important thing that you have to remember. Don't point a finger unless you're ready to accept some of that back at you. And when we were kids and other children used to do that, we'd say, yeah, but there's three pointing back at you and, and your thumb points to heaven. So, nah, 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 you know, I used to do that nanny, nanny, boo-boo stuff. But it's true. You point your finger at somebody, you have to keep in mind that most people kind of, they don't point it like we used to do as a child, but more relaxed, but they point their finger. But yeah, keep in mind. There are three fingers. When you make a pointed finger and you're pointing at somebody, you have three pointing right back at you. Father God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, and they're pointing back at you. So you better be able to reflect on that before you start pointing your finger in accusation. And here's the other thing to keep in mind too. God does not seek perfection in any of us because until he who is perfect has come, there is no perfection on this plane of existence. Who is perfect? Jesus Christ. He is the perfect. He is the only perfect. Was the only perfect. God doesn't look for perfection in us. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we have scars. He knows that we will fall down and stumble. But he is always there. What he wants us to do is seek his face. Do you seek God? Okay, seeking is not just kind of a happenstance glance and over here and there. And Well, I can't find God today. Oh, well, no big deal. I'll just go, go at myself. I'll just go at my own. That's not what seeking is about. Seeking is a diligent, fervent effort to find God in the word, in prayer, in the day, to look around and see the goodness that there is. Yeah, there's a lot of darkness out there. And there's a lot of folks that just say, oh, I don't want to hear about any of that. I just want, I just want to hear about the good stuff. And they do the pick and choosing through the word and what they want to hear and listen to. And it's only about the bluebirds of happiness and the butterflies and the irises in the field. Well, that's not what life is about at all. Yes, there's goodness in that. When you seek his face, you can find goodness out there, even in the darkness. You can find those good things because God puts them there for us to encourage us to let us know that he is watching and that he loves us and he wants to share with us. So those bluebirds and those songbirds and the butterflies and all those things that he puts out there in a beautiful forest and those mighty majestic mountains, the roaring oceans and the thundering rivers, he puts them there for us to hear, see, and know that he is Lord God Almighty. But you only will see and hear that if you seek that in existence. 
If you're not seeking his face, you're not listening with spiritual ears, and you don't shake the scales off your face, and you allow the white noise interference of Satan to interfere, which he will keep sending the minions to get you that way. He seeks to have you discouraged, discouraged and dismayed, to just throw up your hands and say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I don't see God anywhere. That's because you're not looking. You're not seeking. You're not trying. There's no effort. Seek God fervently. And sadly, there are some that claiming Christianity as a title that function that way. Their efforts are far more urgent than God. And they don't look for him. Not in his righteousness, only in their efforts and what they're trying to do. And sadly, there are in reality, real life, they that look to destroy his, his house of prayer and those that follow Jesus and believe in God and the Holy Spirit their efforts are much more profound than those who claim to be Christians in seeking for God and his righteousness. Those that look to seek and destroy are much more urgent about it. Why, why is that, I wonder? That's the ponderance. Why does it seem, when you look around, that there are greater efforts in those that look to burn out a church or put down those that are claiming to be Christians or, or those that are, that are declaring their faith and you have organizations that put them down and you have uh, sporting organizations that put down team members that claim their faith in God and belief in Jesus Christ and they're put down and ridiculed and the media chases after them and, and uh, says there's no place in it. And yet they... It's okay to kneel down and declare your uh, disloyalty to your country and, and those things that individuals died to ensure that you had the right to do, even in that freedom of speech. That, that part's okay, but to declare your belief in Jesus Christ and your faith in God, that's not allowed. Why does it seem that there's so much more credence in those individuals. Well, part of that is because there are there is a need for many more to stand up and be bold, courageous, righteous in his righteousness and de- to declare that and as I've shared with you before that sadly um there was a day when before any political stuff was televised there was a prayer the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they would go into business. But it always started out with prayer. And when they first started televising these things, I can remember when Billy Graham was on the floor of Congress or the Senate, and then when they were going to televise a session, and he led in prayer. I remember in the State of the Unions, when they were being addressed and they first started televising them, it always began with prayer, then the pledge, and then the business. That doesn't happen anymore. You don't see that anymore. Well, 
the churches aren't saying, hey, you elected officials, you are elected by the people, for the people, other people, and this is supposed to be one nation under God. We as a body that believe in the Lord God and have faith in God and believe in Jesus Christ, there was a time when you all used to have prayers before the start of business in the day. We want to do that again. We want to show that this country is united and we want to show that Lord God is sovereign. See how that goes. Just a point in fact. <clears throat> but there are those that more urgently do that. So let's go back to the book of Revelation because here's the ponderance too, brothers and sisters. You have to keep in mind that the whole book the whole book from the book of Genesis all the way back through to the end of Revelation is talking about one thing, <coughs> one thing only. It might not seem like it, but it does. That's the gospel of God the Father, the good news of God the Father, our sovereign Lord God, the birth, life, crucifixion of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, which is there, and that when Jesus returned to heaven to prepare our place for us to pray because he is our intercessory high priest in heaven, prays for us every day, that he would send the comfort of the Holy Spirit so that we would not be left or feel alone. But many times people give up on that and they claim and they hold on to that being alone all the time. Sadly. But in... Jesus' vision to John while he was on the island of Patmos, <coughs> Jesus gave him vision and had him to write letters to the seven churches. I shared that briefly with you already. That, And those seven churches were very important in that day. They were on main trade routes. They were on intersections of main highways. And he had John write to these churches because... He was watching. God watches us, brothers and sisters. He pays attention to what's going on. They were watching. And in his first letter to the church at Ephesus, he was writing and reminding them that, hey, you know what? So you're, you're doing good. You're doing okay. And, and here too, when you read the book of Revelation, you see where he says, and to the angel of the church at Ephesus. He's not talking about the heavenly angel. Okay, or that angelic host. The angels are terms that were used for pastors or the leaders of that church at the time. They called them that. They were called angels. They were also called later on, they were called shepherds. And the Bible talks about the hireling shepherds because they are not like the good shepherd and there are some that turn away from the flock. That's another story. That's another time, another lesson. But in this vision that Jesus gave to John to write these letters to the seven churches, and he's going down and he's saying, hey, you, you did good. You, I know I've been watching what you're doing. Uh, it says you're laboring, your patience, and, and you don't like uh, those that are doing the evil and all this other stuff around you, and, and it's hard on you. Churches of Ephesus was, as with most of the churches, they were surrounded by idolatry and orgies and false teachings. 
And he reminds them that they, they born out in, in patience and, and doing the things that they were doing for his name's sake, and that's good. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, as it is in Revelation 2.4, because thou hast left thy first love. They're doing all this other stuff, and they were they were at odds with those things that were going on and they they didn't want to they didn't want to bear with that but they weren't seeking god they were caught up in doing good stuff and you know like I, I've, I've shared with you already it, it kind of my heart gets hurt sometimes when i see this that there's these groups and i it's not really a faulting. I, you know, I hate to do it that way, but don't look for the offense in this. It's, it's a point to this. You have those individuals that come out and they show up and I see them going up and down some of these boulevards to uh, feed and bring stuff to the homeless people that are out there. But they show up in Escalades. They show up in, in Ford Raptor trucks, which are, my goodness gracious, those things are $50,000 for a pickup truck. And that's a used one. And they show up in a vehicle that costs more than some people have will ever see in their lifetime. And they show up to bring food and, and uh, stuff to them. And then, and then they don't pick up anything. They, and, and goodness gracious, after they leave, you just can go up there for weeks. There's piles of garbage and clothes that aren't even taken. They just pile the stuff up and it sits out there. Um, so... Is that just to be seen that they're out there doing this stuff or are they doing it from the heart? Sorry, but no, I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm speaking the truth. It troubles me because it seems, I may be wrong, but it seems like many are doing it just to be seen. And there are groups that come out there and they have these magnetic things that they plaster on the side of these ritzy automobiles so that people know what group they're from really um i think i would probably much rather do it more anonymously and just go out there and take care of these folks and do what i possibly can do to share and help with them which is what i do anyway but that's not a bragging thing that's just stating a fact so are you doing it to be seen or are you doing it because that's what your heart tells you to do? And also keep in mind too that in each one of these letters to the churches, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So, he's not only declaring the things that are falling short to these churches, but he's also reminding them, reminding them, and as he, as you read each one of these letters to the churches, and as you go down here to, um, as he goes to each one of the churches in each letter, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
and all the way down. And then you go down here to the next church at Sardis. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then when you go over here to the next church, and he's talking to the church of Laodicea and all these churches, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, keep this in mind, brothers and sisters, and anyone out there that's listening. We are the church. A church is not the building. We are the body of the church, and we are the church. The Lord should be in, and we should seek the Lord at all times. Worship and praise to him in all things, even when things are tumultuous. We are the church. We are the church body. Not only do we physically come to the house of the Lord to worship him once a week, whatever you do. And sadly and adversely, there are those that claim to have the title of Christian, or they look to be called a Christian, but they claim that in title only. They don't go to church but once a week. They don't open the Bible hardly ever at all. They don't go to any special occasions. They don't pray. They don't worship God. And when they're singing, you see them that are staying, and sometimes you'll see them. <laughs> they're, they're there. And I try to... Um, keep my focus on what's going on and focus on God, worshiping God, because the focus should not be on those that are around. And when I see these things happening, I start praying over them and for them and, and whatever's going on in the relationship. And you'll see individuals that will be there with their hands in their pockets. And they're not even singing. They're standing up because their, their wife or their spouse stood up and... Sadly, most of the time, actually, it's the men. They're standing there with their hands in their pockets. And they're not even singing. And many times I'll see where they're sitting down and they're fiddling around with their telephone. But this is the kind of stuff that actually Satan takes delight in doing, is drawing your attention and focus away from what you should be doing, worshiping and, and seeing these things. Yes, I'm confessing. Sometimes I do that. And I look around and I see these things. And I start praying and I take my focus right back to where it should be and I leave those things alone. And I start praying the Holy Spirit. I start shooting out bullet prayers that my focus stay on the reason I'm there. And that's to seek my Lord God, to worship Him, to praise Him, and not on these other things that are going on. And keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that we are a gathering people. Hebrews 11, 24, and 25 reminds us of that. To seek his face, to provoke one another to love and good works. That's what we're supposed to And provoking isn't like you poke them with a sharp stick or whatever. It's just kind of uh, praying over one another to get that conviction of the heart that the Holy Spirit would come and, and you're going, wow, you know what? We got to go to church this week. Oh, they're having this. We got to go do this and you got to be in the word. That's what that's about. And we also have to remember, too, something, brothers and sisters, and this is, this is very important. This is in addition <coughs> to, and I nearly, how could I pause? Sorry, Father, I don't, didn't mean to do that. That was foolish. But here we have to remember this, too. 
when we start whining and crying about all these things, we start, and quite honestly, there are a number that do that very thing. And those that claim the title of Christian, some of them are the biggest wankers there are that I have ever heard in my life, that there are individuals that, if anyone would say, deserve the the opportunity to gripe and complain about something, that they indeed are the ones. But yet, you have those that are claiming to be Christian that are some of the biggest whiners, gripers, and complainers about their life and the misery that they're going through. And they don't even talk about anything else except for me, my, 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 and I. So, in Hebrews chapter 12, is a reminder of our mindset. And I'm going to read, uh, actually I'm going to read, I'm going to go from 12, 1 to 9. I was going to start farther down. But, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So, what does that translate to? That means that we have a lot of brothers and sisters that are around us that are praying and that are there. The cloud of witnesses, those that testify to the gospel and pray the truth. There are a lot. And not to be set with the sin and those things, the the weights of the world that seem so easily that we accept and take on us and then we gripe and whine and cry about it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ came and sacrificed himself for me. And whoever else would have faith and believe. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, your mindset. You accept all these weights and bothers and and this turmoil and all these things are around. You allow that to weigh you down. Then you want to just shrug your shoulders, throw your hands up and say, I give up. I can't do this. Where is thy faith? Do you seek his face? Do you seek him earnestly in the word, in prayer, and stay steadfast to the truth? There is the question. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I used to hear that when I was growing up from my earthly mother and father. You know, we do this because we love you. I didn't understand it then. With uh, Once in a while, I'd have to get a swat in a behind because I had done something that warranted that. You know I love you. That's why I'm doing this. I couldn't get that. Why would they possibly put something physical against me like a swat in a behind if I was doing something wrong? But 
in my growing older, I did learn to understand that. That is exactly what they were doing because they did love me. They wanted to guide me in the right direction. And sometimes being so obstinate, it took a physical swat in the behind to get my attention. And now, of course, you have those experts that say, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't do that. No, you, you got to sit down and talk to them. And then what do you do when you sit down and talk to them? The kids are more interested in that silly little device they have in their hands. And, and they're, hey, are you listening to me? Oh, yeah, 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 I heard you. Okay, all right then. You, you make sure you don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Three bags full and off they go. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Anyway. That's another story. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If he doesn't try to guide you and steer you in the right direction, then what's, what is the point? He's not loving you. Just letting you go off and do your own thing. Nope. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. <sighs> and I'm going to go ahead and read into verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in the subjection unto the Father of spirits and live so, what is Paul saying to the, to the Hebrews? We endured correction from earthly parenting and the fathers because in that day, in the culture, the, the mothers rarely, if ever, did any correcting. It was the father, the earthly father. So he's saying there, you know, if the earthly fathers did it and then you rever them because they're the head of the house and they're dad and yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> and yet you want to gripe about the heavenly father that will do that, who loves you so dearly that he gave his only begotten son so that the world wouldn't be done as it was in the days of Noah. And the ponderance is there. How is it that the earthly parenting is so much greater than our heavenly father, the sovereign Lord God, the maker of all things made? And you have to remember too, brothers and sisters, it has to do with the mindset and that Jesus Christ reminded as he was um, in Matthew 22, when the lawyer came up and thought he was so brilliant, he was going to tempt Jesus into an error. Didn't work. So we have to have a mindset that when this lawyer came and attempted to drive him around, we have to remember, Jesus reminded us that love must be First in that, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is your neighbor? Anyone that you come in contact with 
that you walk on this. It's not just the person that lives right next door. It's not in the person in the next apartment over. It's anyone that we contact as our neighbor. We have to remember this. It's a mindset. And we have to keep our mindset. And this is the point of attack. I've shared this with you before. That we have to keep that mindset that God is foremost. We have to seek him. And that, (coughs) pardon me, that in the book of Psalm, David writes about a lot of these things. And that we have to be reminded sometimes to go there, find them, and remember. In Psalm 9, 9 and 10, we're reminded of some of these things. And we need to remember that. I'm going to read from the old translation. It is he who judges the world with righteousness, rules the people with equity. Hashem, Lord God, is a haven for the oppressed, a haven in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust you, for you do not abandon those who turn to you, Lord God. We, David's reminding us that we have to look to God. He is our refuge. And though we may feel alone, he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have to remember that. Remember too that God looks down from his throne and he sees and he calls them wicked that do not seek him. In Psalm 10, starting at verse 2. And actually, I'll go back to verse 1. David was kind of questioning because it appeared to him, but this is how it is with it, with us, is that to him, Lord God, why do you stand aloof, heedless in times of trouble? <coughs> the appearance in the mindset is that God has done that, but he never does. The wicked in his arrogance hound the lowly, that they may be caught in the schemes of their devices. The wicked crows about his unbridled lust. The The grasping man reviles and scorns the Lord God. Their own arrogance. The wicked, arrogant as he is in all his scheming, thinks he does not call to account the Lord God, does not care. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are far beyond him. He snorts at his foes. He thinks I shall not be shaken through all time, never be in trouble. And his mouth is full of oaths, deceit, fraud, mischief, and evil are under his tongue. Those are them that do not seek God. Their arrogance. They vaunt themselves higher than others. 
and put themselves above that which is sovereign. <coughs> Excuse me. Their ways they put higher than God. And they think that they have all the answers. Not true. But see, that's the arrogance of their mindset. Their mindset is that they don't need God. They don't have to look for God. They don't have to do anything because they're getting away with it. Ah, but only in their mind's eye. And here is the important thing too. In Psalm 14, 2. Hashem, Lord God, looks down from heaven on mankind to find a man of understanding, a mind, a man mindful of Lord God. Looking for that person, man or woman, that seeks him, that seeks his face, that looks to worship him and give his heart and desire And here's one that the Spirit just took me to here. I, this was not directly in that, but this is in um, Psalm 62, 6-9. Truly wait quietly for Hashem, O my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He is my rock, my deliverance, my haven. I shall not be shaken. I rely on Hashem, my deliverance and glory, my rock of strength. In Hashem is my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. Hashem is our refuge. Hashem, Lord God, is our refuge. You might think you're alone. You might sometimes feel alone, but that's in your mindset. And we are not. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers on my going out and my coming in.